engineer told his manager, this project is the pits. A stinking crock of horse manure that gives me nauseous fits. The manager went to his boss and passed the word along. It's a pot of fertilizer and its smell is awfully strong. It comes from my... Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, Squirrel. So we had a little bit of a di- different music coming in today, and that's thanks to a guy named Steve Savitsky. We'll do a link to him in the in the show notes. But uh, we don't have time for the entire song, but it, it is about today's topic, which is green shifting. And Jeffrey, I think you have a fable that summarizes what green shifting is all about. Yeah, that's right. And I think I first came across this in uh, the jargon file, uh, uh, actually, the printed version, uh, which was the the Hacker's Dictionary, which is a, a gift uh, from my family when I was a, a teenager, and I, I, I devoured that the, the stories uh, stories and tales of the computing industry, which uh, you know seemed to have had some effect on me. <laughs> but before you could look this all up on the internet, when when you actually had to read it in a book. Yeah, exactly. And I, I and now of course there were electronic versions out there, but unfortunately I was not yet uh, yet a university where I could uh, go and find the the, the master golden uh, repository uh, where it was being kept at the time. Mm. And it, so it had this fable in it. Um, and uh, at the time, it, uh, it didn't attach to the word green shift. That, that, uh, that label came later. But I think as we read it, you'll, you'll get a sense of how it works. Um, so apparently, this is, a, this is a fable that goes back to the early 60s. So there's a very clear that this is not a new phenomenon. Mm. So it goes like this. Um, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it sort of um, it's, it starts off. Uh, In the beating was the plan, and the plan was without form, and darkness was on the face of the workers, and they spake unto their leader, saying, "It is a crock of shit, and it smells as of a sewer." <laughs> <laughs> so you you get a sense that things start off uh, very early that the, the workers are, are not down with this plan, and they're telling people how it is. But then what happens is it goes through a chain. Uh, a management, and uh, and this is kind of a you can see the effect of a of a uh, authoritarian hierarchy. So it goes up to the next level, and it becomes a crock of excrement. And the next level, it's a container, and uh, and then it's a vessel of fertilizer. And then it's being reported that oh, it promotes growth and is very powerful. <laughs> and uh, and this this version ends with, and the vice president rushed to the president's side and joyously exclaimed. This is a plan for a new, powerful new software product that will promote the growth of the company. And the president looked upon the plan and saw that it was good. <laughs> Excellent. <So. laughs> I'm, I'm sure that our listeners will have no familiarity with this whatsoever. They've never seen anything like this ever happen. <laughs> the great thing about this is it's very humorous and it describes um, a phenomenon that um, affects lots and lots of projects. Uh, the, the kind of more serious angle on it is, and uh, I know we've talked about this before, is from, uh, believe it or not, Richard Feynman, the, the famous physicist. Nobel Prize winner, and he was on the commission that investigated the Challenger explosion. So um, not just uh, the president um, endorsing a plan that isn't working very well, but the uh, uh, explosion and and death of a a number of people. And when uh, his Appendix F, which we'll link to in the show notes, describes a a world in which uh, the engineers are all saying there's a one in 100 chance that um, if you launch this vehicle, it will explode. And the management all think that it's a one in 100,000 chance. So there's this massive disconnect. And that's how he opens the 
the appendix where he describes this. And he wasn't very popular with the other people on the commission because he was pointing this out. They, they didn't really want to go into it. That's why he's in, in an appendix. But it's a um, very helpful description of exactly how this phenomenon happens, that you start with a, a negative view on the ground, and um, then the people making um, very consequential decisions don't hear that. Right. We're describing it here, though, in, in, in this classic version, and, and I think as well in this Appendix F, it's, it's sort of a, a question of degrees. Things sort of uh, get shaded uh, by levels uh, one at a time. But um, you were telling me that you've also found a case where it can happen just isolated in, in, in a single individual. Sure. Well, I'm I'm working in much smaller organizations than the ones described here. I'm not uh, NASA or um, you know a big company with a, a whole bunch of levels of management. So, uh, phenomenon I've seen more than once, and I've, I've had a couple of them recently, is where you have just one person who is in a middle management role and is hearing uh, quite negative things below, and and thinks, oh, I need to. Um, pass this along, but, but they don't want to hear it. That's, that's something I often hear is that, oh, you know, the, the managers, they don't want to hear the bad news. So that person communicates it in a way that um, is easily interpretable in good ways, just like in the, the song and the, and the fable you were telling. And uh, the, the management, of course, then says, oh, great, this, this sounds good. I, I wanted to hear good news because usually the person's right that they, they didn't want to hear bad news. And um, so then they go off and act based on that. And of course, they, they tend to call me in when, when somebody gets around the hierarchy, gets around that one person in the middle, and uh, then all hell breaks loose. They say, we better call Squirrel. And I come in and try to, to help. But the first thing I do is, is try to understand how that breakdown occurred. And of course, it breaks down the other way, too, that the, um, the person in the middle is often not communicating the actions of the hierarchy, or they're communicating it in a very um, unclear, unhelpful way. So the, the engineers think no one's listening to us. In fact, there's a, a barrier in the way uh, because they what comes back down is yes, we're uh, we're launching the product next month, and they say yeah, but it doesn't even <laughs> compile yet. <laughs> what? Where did that come from? Right, we've been saying how unrealistic the plan is, and and now we're being told that oh, that's great job, you're you're on schedule. <laughs> exactly. And uh, there was a, a beautiful example of this um, from uh, an old friend of yours, I think, uh, Scott Ambler, um, who, who tells this story from, from a, a few years ago. That's right. Uh, he, he wrote this up in the uh, Dr. Jobs, uh, Dr. Dobbs Journal Agile Newsletter. Uh, he wrote up in 2006, but he was um, talking about, he had come up, uh, the, the name uh, Greenshift, he, he heard applied in, at a Java Polis and uh, Belgium in, in 2005. Now I was actually there, so it's it's actually plausible that uh, that I gave Scott this this term. Um, but uh, he he described his own experience where he had been uh, on a project and he had been passing along to the project manager uh, the concerns and problems with the plan, and uh, he did this went on for a number of weeks, and then he happened to run in the CIO, and the CIO congratulated. Scott, for oh, how well the, the project was going. <laughs> you can Im mm. imagine his surprise when yep. that's not at all the, the situation. Uh, and and he, he also gets a bit then to say, uh, well, you know, what do we what do we do about this? Um, if we if we know that there's a possibility that the problems we see uh, as as workers, the people close to the ground doing the work, aren't being passed on. And similarly, if if you have the if you're in the position of, of management and uh, uh, you're, you're in a position of power and 
you really care and want to know whether or not things are on track. Well, then, well, then what do we do? Yep, that's a real problem. Just explain the, the green shifting notion. That's an astronomical the <laughs> play on words, right? Oh, that's right. Uh, um, the the uh, idea here is that when you um, when we're looking out at the uh, uh, stars uh, by looking at the frequency of the uh, light that's coming from them, uh, we can see that uh, when things are moving away from us uh, quickly, very you know, uh, very fast, that um, the light is shifted towards the red end of the spectrum. So it might actually be a, a yellow star, but as it moves, as it, if it's moving close to the speed of light away from us, yes. it'll actually look more reddish yellow. That's right. And of course, this, the people are, are, might be familiar with this sort of shift in frequency from, uh, say, a train passing when they hear the Doppler effect. Uh, and so they'll, they'll hear the, uh, exactly like that. that's right yep. as, as it's coming towards them it's a it's a it's a higher frequency and as it passes and goes away it's a lower frequency so this is the same thing that's happening with the light and when it's coming towards you it's blue shifted it goes away it's red shifted and information as it goes up the chain <laughs> is shifted towards green so what was a red a red project things are going wrong becomes everything's looking good so you know through yellow oh there's some problems but I think we're mostly on track to uh, yep I hear we're mostly on track to we're on track. <laughs> All great, just like the fable. The thing I like about the green shifting term is that it, it um, accurately reflects that the, the, the red shifting happens or the, the change of the sound happens uh, as the train goes by you um, only in your ears. So it happens at the, <laughs> the listener or the observer's end. The actual original source remains the same. The star is still yellow. Yes. If, you, if you stood next to it, you would see a yellow star. But when you're very far away and it's going away from you fast, that's when it, it looks different. Yes. So similarly, if, if you were able to get close to the actual project, you'd see how red it was and uh, how, how terrible everything was and it was all off track. But if the farther you get from it and the faster it's moving uh, away from you or something, um, it's uh, it's less clear. And, and that actually goes to what, what Scott and, and what you and I have observed uh, see as a, a, a solution, which is, of course, to uh, get closer to it, get more direct information. Yes. And I, I know that you you were saying that one of your most common interventions uh, goes really directly to this. Mm -hmm. Which is just to go in and say, folks, you know, you have this thing. Could, could we demonstrate it on Friday? Just, just whatever you've got, can we show that? And sometimes that's a long, long way from finished, which then helps people in the management end of the world to, to see how far we are from finished. And sometimes it's better news. Sometimes it's actually been uh, been redshifted. <laughs> so actually the information's <laughs> passing and that there's there's negative views of the, the progress. It goes it can go both ways. But the the intervention is typically the same that you try to get direct verifiable information that's close to the project and the best one is working software. Yes, which which of course is one of the actual principles. There you go. Uh, working software delivered frequently, uh, and it's sort of that—that's ultimate evidence. Um, one thing I also have done with people is to is to is to have uh, uh, some artifacts. You can't if you don't necessarily have the ability to demonstrate working software, maybe to everyone who's a stakeholder, um, especially in larger organizations, that might be difficult to do. That the uh, you know, CEO is going to be able to, to get into your Friday demos, but they still kind of want to know. What's the state of the world? And this is where things like information radiators come in. Uh, and uh, for people who aren't, aren't familiar, this is a, some, yeah, very often these days, it's a, it's a screen, uh, it's a, a monitor mounted on the ceiling or the wall, and it's uh, blasting out information. And the important part is it's visible uh, to everyone. 
unlike something written that's an email that's sort of being passed along privately, the information radiator is a public statement about uh, where we are. Uh, but so, so Jeffrey, we don't have to worry about that because because we have it right here in Confluence. It's right here in our in our team wiki on page thirty seven. You know, you just click these four links and and then you get to it. That that's okay, right? Yeah, no, that's that's not that's not uh, not exactly a radiator. There's that's an information hoard. That's an information repository. It's in the in in the caves of information. But so so what we're thinking of here is is a big TV up on the wall that has a graph showing number of build failures or um, beta, beta customers who've signed up or something like that. Is that right? Yeah, that's well, that's right. That's the high tech version, a type of information radiator that I like and that was more common in in, in the old days uh, that us graybeards uh, remember was uh, something called big visible charts. So so it doesn't need to be uh, software based. You can just have something like a big whiteboard or a giant sticky note or something on the wall uh, where you're saying, you know, this is this is the state of the project. And it's the, again, it's the idea that the key idea is it's a public artifact that is large, that the scale, the visibility of it's important because it, it has to be something that everyone can use as a common reference point. This is the current state of the project. And your, your, your expectation is that people who are tangentially interested, people who are not directly involved in the project can, can walk by and see this. That's the, the goal. So the, it's um, radiating to them rather than being hoarded in, uh, in some document somewhere. That's right. Burn up charts or burn down charts, which our, our listeners might be familiar with, are ones that I remember putting up in that um, visible way and, and triggering very useful discussion. Hey, wait a minute. That line finishes like two months after we're supposed to be finished. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's, that's, that's our current state. Did you not know that? Yes, exactly. Projected end date too late. <laughs> that, that's information mm -hmm. we're going to know. And and even uh, for me, that, that when I was at uh, Javapolis or uh, Javapolis there, the, the talk, I was talking about information radiators of, of, a, of a more granular level, which was build radiators. We we're talking about using lava lamps and things like that. Mm, yep. And um, at the startup I was at at the time, it was very interesting when the build uh, status was visible to everyone in the company you know, oh look, the the red lava lamp is on. The build is broken. Uh, it was it was a uh, it was very interesting what it did to the culture. And even the CEO there, he would comment, oh look, the build's broken. And it's something uh, when when your CEO, your non technical business facing CEO, is commenting on the state of the build, you're clearly getting uh, uh, information uh, uh, passing out there. People understand it, and it and it changed the the culture and the way that people related uh, to the build status. Yep. And you can say things like, hey, have you noticed that thing over there in the corner is red a lot? And people <laughs> will often say yes. Say, well, that's a symptom of our difficulties. And that's why we're going to be three months late. That kind of thing can be remarkably powerful. Yes, exactly. Excellent. So uh, if we can get closer to the star, we'll get uh, more information and won't be as green, as green shifted. <laughs> that's right. We're getting closer to its frame of reference uh, rather than uh, uh, being off in our, our own and, and uh, getting these distortions. Fantastic. Well, so if listeners have uh, had any experience with green shifting or red shifting or blue shifting, we'd uh, sure like to hear about it. So please get in touch with us at troubleshootingagile.com. You'll find email and Twitter and all the usual things. We've got some response to our case study request. So thanks very much to listeners and friends of ours who've responded, but we're still there's still room in the book for more case studies. So please do get in touch with us the same way and tell us about examples where you've been uh, troubleshooting agile, where something's worked 
correct or not. We don't care which way, but uh, we're uh, racing toward a July deadline. So uh, end of July, we need to have the manuscript in. So please do get in touch with us soon if you think you have a fantastic story we could use in our book, which we think is going to be called Agile Conversations. We're, we're not confirmed yet, but uh, coming from IT Revolution sometime in 2020. Fantastic. Uh, and of course, uh, we love it when people click the subscribe button in their app of choice so that you can hear us every Wednesday. Excellent. We'll come back next Wednesday. Talk to you then, Jeffrey. All right. Thanks, Carl. All our mushrooms, mushrooms, keep them in the dark. Mushrooms, mushrooms, I heard the boss remark. You feed them bits of bullshit till they can't take any more. When they stick their heads up, cut them off and ship them out the 